Today we're continuing a series we've been, we've been talking about for a couple of weeks called Faithfully. And so the first Sunday we talked about God is faithful. This is a, this is a quality of, of God that, that he says, all right, I want to enjoy my life. I want to live my life in a way that, that I feel good about my life. You know, God doesn't have the opportunity to start over. Some of you have started over in your life. God doesn't have that opportunity. He remembers everything he's done, and he, he knows what he's going to do as well. But he doesn't have that opportunity to get a fresh start. He has to do things right all the time, and he enjoys himself because he does everything right. And faithfulness is one of those decisions that God has made in his life that allows him to enjoy who he is. And the more faithful that you are throughout your life, the more you're going to be able to enjoy your life, even though there's difficult times. And how many of you know there's no time better than in a difficult time to prove your faithfulness. And so those difficult times, those moments of misunderstanding or struggles, and you remain faithful in those moments are so important in your life. And so that's why we're talking about this, embracing faithfulness as God has embraced it for himself. Last week, we talked about how important it is to know these things, who, what, where, when, how, and why in your life. You need to know those things so that you can be stable in your life. How many of you are glad that God is stable? Can you imagine if God was like the person that woke up and goes, man, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be a problem for everybody today. (laughs) That would be an awful God. And so we're very grateful that he is stable. He's somebody that we can count on. We can, we can, we can predict what he's going to do because it's good and right and just. So today we're going to be talking about another quality that comes with faithfulness, and that's called being steady, being steady. And, um, you know, how many of you remember when when you were a kid, you're like, hey, do you want to go steady with me? (laughs) And going steady could lead to marriage. And speaking of which, (laughs) y'all have been waiting for me to say something, haven't you? So very excited about this Saturday. I hope that y'all will be there. I really do. And uh, so plan to be there this Saturday. Two o'clock. Two o'clock. I'm getting married to that lady right there. (laughs) Yes. And, um, you know, faithfulness is a part of that. And what are they saying? Will you go steady with me? Will Will you be faithful to me? And will you allow me to be faithful to you, right? All right. Well, you've heard it said... So today we're talking about being steady, and you've heard it said that slow and wins the race. It's true, isn't it? Fast and unstable, well, that doesn't always win. Someone else said, your speed doesn't matter. Forward is forward. And the longer you live, the more that you believe that. Your speed doesn't matter. Forward is forward. And, and like I said, the longer you live, the more you realize that, hey, I'm just glad I can take another step forward. Just glad we can move forward. Another person said, you don't have to go fast. You just have to go. And it's true, isn't it? Bruce Lee, y'all know who Bruce Lee is. He said this, long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity. Long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity. Visualize that. 
Long-term consistency trumps short-term intensity. Anybody can be intense for a moment, but long-term consistency is what matters. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come into the church and they're like, oh man, this is the best place. Three weeks later, (laughs) what happened? Short-term intensity versus long-term consistency. Which would you rather have in your life? This is faithfulness. Be steady. King Solomon wrote this. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Those three statements seem to be so, or two statements, but with a comma in the middle of the first one. Those, those statements seem to be so... Uh, so disconnected. It seems like he's talking about three different things. The end of the matter is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. So what is he saying? He's saying, number one, how you end is more important than how you begin. In other words, if you began with a bunch of intensity, a bunch of emotion... That doesn't matter as much as how you end. It's the long-term consistency. That's what he's saying. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Secondly, he's saying patience is steady. Patience is steady. Instead of immediately attacking problems, you just patiently wait for them to start being put together. Patience is steady, but pride what? Pride pushes and pushes and pushes and says, all right, I just want this behind me. I just want to deal with this now. And it pushes and pushes and pushes. Patience is better than pride is what it says. Patience is better than pride. And the third thing he's saying here is steadiness begins in your spirit. Steadiness begins in your spirit. Emotions like anger shortcut steady. Look what he's saying. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. So to be unsteady is to be foolish. To be uh, the unsteady operate in pride. Pride pushes for instant success. Pride pushes for instant results. And then we use anger to get instant results, and we, we push and push and push. And pride brags about how quickly a house was built. Is it always good for a house to be built quickly? Hardly ever. But what do we hear? And this is so funny in the church world. What do we hear? Oh, man, that church, three months, and they were running 5,000 people. You know, we hear people brag about this. Really? Probably unstable. Probably full of people that aren't steady. Pride boasts about how big and grandiose something is. The unsteady use anger. Anger is a shortcut to get things done. Uh, If you want to clean your house, find somebody to make you mad. Isn't that true? If you can find a way to get angry, man, your house, you will not only get it clean fast, but you will get it clean better, right? That may work in cleaning your house, but it does not work in your life, all right? Anger shortcuts things that need to be steadily worked out in our lives. God takes no shortcuts, not even one. He doesn't take any shortcuts in dealing with you. 
He doesn't take shortcuts in providing for you. He doesn't take shortcuts in healing you. He doesn't take shortcuts in doing what you want and need in your life for His purpose to be accomplished. God's plan and purpose is steady and long-term. Haven't you found that to be true? Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. In other words, gambling. All right, there are so many great and wise quotes about this topic. How many of you heard this? Haste makes... Just a quote. Everybody knows it. The hurrier I go, the behinder I get. I like that one. The hurrier I go, the behinder I get. Um, Here's another one. People forget how fast you did a job, but they remember how well you did it. They forget how fast you did a job, but they remember how well you did it. God doesn't do anything fast. You say, well, he made creation. I mean, he created this whole thing in six days. That's pretty fast. Well, when you stop and think about it, he could have done it in two seconds or less. But instead, he slowly and methodically over six days. And then he took a rest and he said, okay, if I could take a rest, you can too. Slowly, steady, God did creation charted what we needed to know in Genesis for us to know about it. You see, God provides paths to freedom for us. God provides paths to financial security. God provides paths to healing for us. He provides paths to good relationships for us. And when we walk those paths steadily, we have them eventually. But if you try to take shortcuts to have long-term relationships and shortcuts to have wealth, shortcuts to have health, you've, you know, the, the, the people that shoot themselves up with steroids look pretty healthy in the moment, don't they? But long term, what is it? Another person said this: some of us would take our time if we knew that we're just rushing to our deaths. Hmm. Proverbs 21, verse 29 says, Wicked people bluff their way, but God's people think before they step. God's people take a a look and say, Okay, I'm going to step here because it makes sense in God's plan. Proverbs 4, 26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Stop before you run. But those who just take off running, it's a problem. You need to be steady when you're facing a giant. How many of you have faced giants in your life? Steadiness is so important in those moments of facing giants. Um, You you think about David. Remember King David when he was a little boy? What happened out in the fields? He killed a lion with his bare hands. He killed a bear with his bare hands. And what happened? He was steadily doing what needed to happen as a shepherd. And one day he's standing before a giant and instead of standing before this giant and feeling like, okay, this is my moment. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I better pull this off. He didn't, it was just another step for him. It was, it was a part of his steady growth. He had already killed a lion. He'd already killed a bear. He'd already had these experiences throughout his life, even as a kid. And now it was just another step. All right, with God's help, I can take that guy out. And he did it. 
Just that quick and that easy. Why? Because he was steadily prepared for it all along the way. The old saying is, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's how you fight a giant. You steadily grow into that place where you're ready to fight that giant and take it out. And, and when you're feeling overwhelmed, overwhelming, that overwhelming feeling that you get, how do you deal with that? That's, that's a giant, isn't it? How do you deal with it? One step at a time, one bite at a time. You deal with it. Getting healthier takes what? One right bite at a time. <laughs> One push-up at a time, one pull-up at a time, one sit-up at a time, one walk at a time, steadily, over and over and over. Being spiritually mature takes more than just reading one chapter in the Bible. Whew, I read a chapter. Now I can tell John what to preach on Sunday. I'm spiritually mature. Whew, I showed up to one prayer service. Now I'm spiritually mature. Is that true? It's not. And, and, and spiritual maturity is, is growing in relationships. And what does that take? It takes day after day, phone call after phone call. It takes all kinds of effort on your part to grow in those relationships with God and others. Getting out of debt takes what? Payment after payment after payment after payment. But eventually, you're free. Steadily. Just doing it. That's how you face a giant. You also need steady to face a long journey in your life. And as we talked about last week, endurance is a huge goal in God's, God's agenda for us. God wants us to be perseverers. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Perseverers. Persevere. Yeah. So God wants us to be people who endure, people who overcome for long periods of time. That's maturity. That's growth. But immature Christians, we get stuck in ruts of religion. When someone comes in and they get, get excited, okay, I've accepted Christ. Well, suddenly they want to find themselves spiritually mature. And so we, we, we find out these, these things. We get stuck in the swamp of self-righteousness and making up rules. And okay, I like this rule and I like this rule and I'm going to follow this rule. And then I'm going to feel spiritually mature and I'm going to feel like I'm, I'm growing fast. And God's like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point of spiritual maturity. The point of spiritual maturity is that you have good relationships with the people in your church, people People in your family, that you have a good relationship with God, that you learn how to love. Love is the ultimate goal of what we're after. Enduring in love is important. So you and I have to embrace endurance in our lives and be steady for a long journey. Not just for a sprint. While everything and everyone around us is being shaken, we're called to be steady. While the world is so unsteady and inconsistent on what the definition of love is, we're clear about it. We're steady. And while everyone around you is fighting for survival, you're steady. And you make decisions based upon what is true, what is right, what is lovely, what is pure, what is good. And that last moment of clarity that you had, you're going to hold on to that. No matter how difficult it gets, you're going to be steady and strong and firm in it no matter what. One of the biggest freak out stories in the Bible, I love this story. 
Jesus and the disciples were on a boat, and, and all of a sudden, a really bad storm came up. If you've ever been on a boat when a bad storm comes up, poof, you know exactly what this feels like. It is extremely scary. And the Bible calls this storm a furious squall. And it was so bad that the Bible describes it as the waves were breaking over the bow of the boat and just filling it up. And there were other boats with them, around them, people who had gotten in boats when they saw Jesus and the disciples get in the boat. They were like, okay, we got to follow him. So there, there were all kinds of boats around them when this storm came up. So there were a lot of people whose lives were at stake here. People were screaming. They were scared. And you can imagine what everyone in the other boats were thinking too. They were thinking, man, we're trying to follow Jesus. Why is this happening? What in the world is going on? We're just, we're just trying to follow Jesus. God, don't you care? We thought he was God, but this is a problem. Why are we about to die? And so we're, Lord knows how many people were in those other boats and they were watching. And you can imagine they were probably looking to see, okay, what are the disciples doing over there? Are the disciples freaking out like us? And guess what? They were. They were bailing water. They were throwing stuff overboard. <gasps> and then finally, they go down. Jesus is in the, in the stern of the boat, and they go down. And the scripture is so descriptive. He had his head on a pillow sleeping. I just love that. And they wake him up, and they're like, Jesus, let me read the story to you. It's much better to read the story. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, hey, let's go over to the other side. And don't you know when that storm hit and they were going through this, that they were like, this was Jesus' idea. <laughs> he made us get in this boat. This is ridiculous. Why did he tell us to get in the boat, to cross to the other side if this was going to happen? Anybody ever been there? Why did God tell me to do this? He knew this storm was going to be there. Why? Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Now, I don't know why they said that. I mean, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting, just as he was. In, the, in other words, they didn't say, hey, Jesus, go change your clothes or something. We're getting in the boat. I don't know. I don't know. It's just interesting little, little things like, okay, that's the way my brain works. I'm sorry. Let's move on. There were also other boats with him. There it is. There were other boats there. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They were freaking out. He got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Just woke me up out of a good nap. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? You still have no, they weren't able to be faithful. They weren't able to be full of faith. They were terrified and asked each other, now listen to this, a few minutes ago they were terrified of the storm, but now they're more terrified of Jesus when they realized this guy can control the weather. I think we should have been more afraid of him than we were of the weather. Maybe we shouldn't wake him up next time. 
What did Jesus expect? Faith? Trust? Faithfulness? He expected it. While he was asleep, He said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Seriously, you've got, you've, got, you've got me asleep in the bottom of the boat? Listen, if God isn't concerned about it to even wake up, then everything's okay. If God's not freaking out about what's going on in your life, going to be all right. You see, he's not some narcissist that's asleep in the bottom of the boat going, please don't bother me. That's not it at all. If it seems like he's asleep while you're in your moment of crisis, then it's time for you to just relax and be steady. And let all the other people around you, all the other boats, look over and say, well, okay, if they're okay, if they're not freaking out, then we know Jesus has got this. Let's just relax and somehow enjoy the storm and have peace and trust Him through it. You know, it seems that God is so steady, He's like, Cool hand, Jesus. Some of you will get that. He's just cool. One day Jesus was in town. And man, a ruckus started. People started picking up rocks. And they were like, we're going to stone Jesus. And they started gathering around Jesus. We're going to rock him to death. And Jesus was so cool. He just walked out. And you can hear the music play as he goes, you know? Just, he just walks out. He's so cool. Steady. But can you imagine if Jesus was like, oh no, they're going to stone me to death. And he freaks out in front of everybody. Can you imagine that? Or can you imagine Jesus as he's, going to the, as he's going to be hanged on the cross and he's being beaten and bludgeoned and bloodied. Could you imagine Jesus freaking out? That's not what he did. He was steady and he just took it and he said, all right, I trust my father. I believe I have faith and I'm going to faithfully finish my purpose and what I've been put here for. And he just took it. He didn't even say a word as he went through all of that. Your life is most likely going to be a long journey. And you need to get it in your heart and in your spirit, in your mind, and say, all right, I am in this for the long haul. Even when I mess up, I'm going to be steady. When it seems like God's not coming through for me the way that I want Him to come through for me, I'm just going to be sturdy and steady. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do for a long period of time. Even if I go off course, I'm going to get right back on course, and I'm going to just be steady. And I'm going to trust God no matter how difficult things look. That's how you face your giants, and that's how you are in it for the long journey. 
You need to see life from God's perspective in order for you to be steady. It's time for you to back up and look at your life from God's perspective. Looking down on your life, you can see more and, and know what's coming at you. When you're, when you're seeing your life from God's perspective, it makes a big difference. You know, like parents with their kids. Uh, Eli, yesterday, it was hysterical. I was sitting in my room and I was studying, preparing for today, and I did, <laughs> I pulled back to this spot and threw this in here. It was great because uh, he was sitting in his high chair and he was screaming to the top of his lungs. He wanted something, Rah! you know, and he felt like he was not going to make it through this moment unless he got whatever he got. And I could hear my kids. They were all having a conversation. I don't remember what it was about. I don't know. I don't have a clue. They were just in, all were enjoying it and involved in it. And they weren't even paying attention to Eli. Because they knew he's sitting in his high chair, and in just a few moments, we're going to give him his breakfast or whatever it is that he wants. He's over there, ah, he's freaking out, and they're just steadily talking and having this conversation. I'm sitting in the other room, and I can hear it all happening, and they don't even realize that he's screaming. They're not even paying attention to him because they know his life is okay. They know his life is all right, and he's going to get what he needs. He's safe, and that's, that's, a, that's a God perspective view on our life. And we could be freaking out, and God's like, all right, chill. It's going to be all right. I've got this. Trust me. You see, God's perspective is looking down on us. And his view, some of you, some of you are gamers, and, and if you're playing a game and you're looking down on your avatar in the game, right? And you're, you can see what's coming at it, you can see what moves you need to make, and you can see what, what armor you need to have, and all of that. And listen, God has given you the information that you need for your life, for you to back up and look down on yourself and say, okay, God has promised, he's told me about my future. God has promised that he would never leave me nor forsake me. Those are great pieces of information for you to be able to look down on your life and say, all right, I need to move here. I need to go there. I need to do this. I need to stop doing this. He's told you even what armor that you need to wear. He's told you everywhere that you go, he's going to be with you. He's promised that. And he's told you that he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will He's promised you a future in his kingdom. He's promised you meaningfulness in his kingdom, things for you to accomplish for his will. He's promised that he will guide you to the left or to the right. He's promised that if you'll just learn to listen to his voice. He's promised that he will also delay you at times. He will cause things in your life to stop you from being somewhere that could harm you. Isn't that awesome? And when you back up and see it from that perspective, your life, you can also understand, all right, here's how I can be steady and just moving forward through this. I'm going to trust him and I'm going to believe in his promises and what he's told me about my life. When you see your life from that perspective, you're able to be steady, sturdy, and faithful. And you just keep moving forward. Jesus asked the disciples, why are you so afraid? After all that you've seen me do, do you still have no faith? In the Bible, there's another word, and we talked about it earlier in the service. And depending on which version you're reading, some translations call it perseverance. But this word you've probably heard, and it may not have really ever made sense to you, but it's the word steadfast. 
steadfast. And steadfast is steady, resolute, dutifully firm, and unwavering. Steadfast. His love is steadfast. In the Bible, there's a man named Saul. and Saul was a religious leader. He was well-respected, one of the most powerful men in Judaism at the time. And he had been given legal authority by the church to arrest, beat, and sometimes even kill Christians. He'd been given legal authority to do that. And so he was going around doing it. He hated Christians because he loved God, he thought. He was zealous for God. It's interesting, isn't it? But he hated Christians because he thought Jesus was a hoax and he couldn't believe. And here's the truth. He didn't understand all that Jesus had done. I don't know where Saul was when Jesus was on this earth, but he didn't get to hear or know Jesus apparently at all because he didn't understand what Jesus had done and he didn't understand what the Christians were doing. He thought this was all blasphemy to God that people would be following this man named Jesus and calling him, calling him God, calling him the Messiah. He thought it was delusional. So he was going to rid the world of these Christians in the name of God. He thought they were a truth, a threat to the truth. They thought they, they were a threat to God. And he didn't understand these Christians at all. So he was trying to kill them. And But Jesus came and introduced himself to him one day. Jesus, looking down God's perspective on him, Jesus, from the sky, reached down, and Saul was on a donkey heading towards this place called Damascus where he was going to hunt down more Christians. And the scripture says he was breathing out murderous threats for these Christians. Just, I hate these Christians. And Jesus reaches down through, from the sky and just whack, knocks him off of his donkey. He falls to the ground. He's blinded by this bright light. And Jesus says, and he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Uh-oh. I'm in trouble. And Saul became a believer that day. I think all of us would. And he, be, and he changed from using the name Saul to using his Greek name, Paul. The Greek version of his name. And, and the Aramaic name Saul meant this, to be desired. It meant that Others would want to be him. Others would want to be like him. Others would want to do what he was doing. And others would like to have what he has. That others would look at his life and desire him. And he quit using that name and he took on his Greek, the Greek version of his name, which is Paul. And Paul means little. He became Paul, the little one. Suddenly he realized how small he was. And in humility... He started just loving people and taking care of people and doing what he was called to do. And you know, he ended up writing most of the New Testament. And he took care of those churches and he started churches that you can still go and visit to this day. And much of the rest of Paul's life would be spent suffering in humility for Jesus. In prison, beaten, and all kinds of struggles and troubles. 
And all the while, Paul started seeing that these false teachers were coming to the churches, and they would call themselves evangelists. Sounds a little familiar to this day, doesn't it? And these guys, not all of them are doing this, okay, but these guys that he was specifically dealing with, they were boasting about how much God was healing and how much God was giving them and how much God would give you if you just do this. And they were, they were swimming. And, and Paul, when you read this, the word in one of the translations that he actually uses is they were coming into the church and they were robbing the church with all these emotional highs and things. And please don't get me wrong. I do believe that God touches our emotions during the services, don't you? And he does that because we like to, and we like to feel his presence, and we like to use emotion to help us. He likes to use emotion to help us to make good decisions in our lives in those moments of clarity. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you can't have emotions in church or in your prayer life with God. I encourage that. But these guys were using it for self-gain, and they were using the people's emotions and desires for that for their own good. And it was just robbery. And and he would, they would come in, they'd get all the people riled up, and then they'd take a big offering, and then the guy would leave town. How many of you have seen that? Don't raise your hand. And let me ask you a question. Is God more impressed with someone that is sitting in service and gets all riled up and emotional, and they give $5,000 to the church that day or to that evangelist? Is he more impressed with that than he is the person that steadily just gives week after week after week? Month after month, year after year. It just makes sense, doesn't it? So Paul addresses this in his second letter to the Corinth, Church of Corinth. And it's so funny reading through this chapter. He's like, man, I'm acting like a fool here. The Church of Corinth, these people were apparently elated with these unstable preachers coming in and, and getting them all riled up every Sunday. And, and Paul says, man, I'm sick to my stomach of this. This is just awful. Where's the right teaching? These, are, these preachers are like spiritual casinos. They're teaching the people to gamble with God. This is ridiculous. And it, it wasn't about teaching the people to build strong relationships, stable lives, and steady living year after year after year. It wasn't about that. It was about emotionalism, and it was tough. And let me read it to you. He says to this church, he says, Since you admire the egomaniacs of the pulpit so much. Oh, <laughs> He's pretty straightforward, isn't he? He says, and remember, this is your old friend, the fool talking. And you have to understand and read the rest of the chapter to really get that. I'm the fool compared to these guys. He says, let me try my hand at it. Do they brag about being Hebrews? Israelites? We're of the pure race of Abraham. That's who we are. I'm their match. Are they servants of Christ? I can go them one better. And he says, I can't believe I'm talking like this. This is crazy for me to be talking this way. But I'm, I started and now I'm going to finish. All right? You guys got me going. <laughs> he says, I've, I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count. And at death's door, time after time, I've been flogged five times with the Jews, 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a night and day. In hard traveling year in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm and 
betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather, and that's not the half of it. Then when you throw in the daily pressures and anxiety of all the churches, when someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin and angry fire burns in my gut, why? Because he cared about the people. These preachers didn't care about the people. They just come in and get them all riled up. He says, I am in this with you. If I have to brag about myself, I'll brag about the humiliations that make me like Jesus. The eternal and blessed God and Father of our Master Jesus knows I'm not lying. Remember the time that I was in Damascus and the governor of King Eretus posted guards at the city gates to rescue me? I crawled through a window in the wall, was let down in a basket, and had to run for my life. And these guys come in and they snooker you, they get you all emotional and riled up and you need that week after week. But I'm telling you, if you will just be like me and be steady, no matter what happens, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter who comes against you, no matter how much it seems like God is asleep in the bottom of the boat, if you will trust him, you will be well in the end. That's his promise. James David, would you come? The Apostle Paul wrote a letter, this same guy, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a young pastor, his name was Titus, and this is what he told Titus, this is what you need to teach the people in the church, Pastor Titus, you need to teach them this, he said, teach what accords with sound doctrine, teach them what to believe about Jesus, older men are to be sober-minded, Dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Steady. I'll never forget the time that our senior adult teacher in the church I was in in Oklahoma City called me one Sunday morning. I said, Pastor John, I'm sick. I can't teach today. Can you get someone to cover my class? Well, I was free that morning. And I was intimidated to walk into this senior adult class, 70s and 80s. I thought, man, these are the pillars of the church, you know. And I got to be honest with you, I was disappointed. I felt like I was teaching the teenagers. (laughs) hope to God that as you grow year after year at this church that one day when one of our young pastors walks into a class full of seniors that he is so humbled by the love, the ability to love with steadfastness I learned what assume means that day in that class funny but they were just as confused about the Holy Spirit and who God is and all of that as any teenager I'd met that ought not be teach them sober minded dignified self controlled sound in faith in love and in steadfastness steady 
serving, loving, faithful. No matter how difficult life gets, just faithful. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Did you know that it takes training? Women don't just naturally love their husbands and children. No, I'm serious. Our, our society, even the church, has, has made it look like our, our ladies just get this naturally. It's not true. They have to be taught. It's just, there it is. To be self-controlled. Teach the young women to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may be reviled, may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. That cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not be put or may an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is what he said, teach the church. Steady. Faithful. True. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be steady. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What is he saying? steady. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. Never give up. Would you bow your heads? you to take a moment and look back on your life. Have you been trying thing after thing at a pace that isn't steady and stable? God has a path of freedom for you. God has a path of healing for you. God has a path of financial freedom. God has a path for you to follow 
that will bring deliverance to you, help to you. He has a path for a better marriage. That relationship is so important. He's got a path for you. It's time for you to follow that path. Let this be that moment of clarity. Make a commitment. What better place to make a commitment than right here, right now in church? Listening to him. He's tugging at you. He's at the door knocking. He says, let me lead you. I will give you stability. I will give you a path of faithfulness. Steady, stable, trusting. So God, today we commit ourselves to your paths, your way. Help us to be. Help us to do. Help us to believe. And help us to trust. Help us to be men and women of faith that we may be faithful. Now, Lord, solidify what decisions have been made here today. That, to, that in the days and weeks and maybe even years to come, as these things are being fleshed out, these decisions, God, that they will always remember they had a moment of clarity today when they made this choice, this decision. And stay with it. In Jesus' name.